I don't know why I'm so emotional other than that I'm reminded that Jesus wept. He wept because uh, he was so just frustrated with what the enemy has done to his creation. The death of his friend Lazarus, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, the condition of his people in Jerusalem, even though he knew that someday the new heaven and the new earth would come in all of its glory. It didn't stop him from grieving what the ruler of this world has done, what he has tried to steal. He has lulled your people to sleep. He has distracted us in countless ways by saying, hey, look over here. And Lord, we need these moments. Our souls need these times where we gather together and we get our focus fixed on the rock that does not move. The rock does not move and its word is strong. His, it is true whether we believe it or not, but Lord, I do pray that you would make us a people that believe, that we would live like we believe it. That in, the, that in our best day, we would praise you and sing praises to you and, 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 and tell people about you. And on our worst day, in our darkest moment, we would praise you and sing praises to you and tell other people about a God who has us in his hand. That you hold on to us and you never let go. Lord, may, may even this morning just be one more step closer to you for each and every one of us. May, as, as we lean into you, may you press your image into us. Lord, so that we, when we go back out into the world, can be immovable rocks. That, that our eyes would stay fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That we would be able to tell other people, Come and see. Just come and see. Come and see, my Jesus. For you, Lord, God, are so much more beautiful than anything else we can look at. It is in you we find the firm foundation of our faith. Strengthen it now, even as we continue to worship you in the word. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. It's on. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you. Dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to you, Dodia and Syntyche, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard in, with telling me the in the telling others the good news. They worked hard along the Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy. The Lord said, "In the Lord, I say again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything." Instead, pray about anything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as long you, as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true, honorable, right, and pure, lovingly, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting pra into practice 
all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing then. The God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Great job, Hope. Yeah, awesome job. And that was, what a blessing, what a blessing, blessing, blessing to have our young people be able to do that. That is, um, encourages my soul. So as you're um, getting seated, grab your Bibles, find Philippians chapter 4. Also find your training truth sheet that's in your bulletin. And I'm going to ask us a question to get us started. It's actually the first talking points question. I will tell you that today's talking points questions are more reflective and a little less interactive, although I'm hoping to still have some discussion together. But the first talking points question says this, are you a generous person? And not just materially, so I'm not just talking stuff or money, but do you give people more than they expect of your time, your care, your concern, your hospitality? If you are, you are probably also a thankful person. And the reverse is also true. So I want to ask a question for the discussion is, how would something like generosity in all those different ways and thankfulness be connected? How have you seen, whether it's in your life or in the lives of those around you, how have you seen people who are, you would call generous, giving of their time, talent, treasure, they're just there for you, they care about you, you know that. How have you seen those people tend to be more thankful? Or vice versa? Or have you? I'm asking. It's okay. Thankful for what I have, pay it forward. Good. Like seeing that place of blessing makes you want to bless others. Good. When you see how, how deep and dark your life could have been or was, you're extremely thankful for every moment you have. Mm. And you, you show that to people. Amen. I think about like probably, one of the, probably the most generous person in the Bible, even though he really had nothing, was Paul. We think about how much of the, our New Testament is written by him, how much of the, the gospel going forward in the new world, or in, the, in, the, in his world at the time, was because of what the Holy Spirit was doing and using him for. And, and yet all of that was motivated exactly by what uh, my two brothers just said. The fact that he understood, uh, he really believed he was chief among sinners. And yet he, that made him even feel more thankful for how deeply blessed he was in the grace of God. And that motivated him to generosity, to literally, like, actually give his life for other people to come to faith in Christ, right? So ultimately, what it comes down to for us is, how, like, our, what is our, and, and Brian talked about it, and I think several people prayed about it even, what is our perspective, right? The reason we, we can be generous, the reason we can be thankful, we talked about this last week when I talked about how thankfulness takes practice, is when we actually um, have the perspective of, of the blessing, and I'm not talking materialism. We're not, we're not, remember we talked about that. Blessings and like financial blessing or even health are not synonymous things in the Bible. They can be, but the blessing of just being one of God's children how does that motivate us, and how does that encourage us, and, and ultimately, how does thanksgiving 
or giving thanks or being thankful help keep our focus right? Like ultimately, that's what I see. The reason we wanted to take some time um, these, these first couple of weeks before we go into our Advent season next week is to spend some time on thankfulness. One, obviously we're going into Thanksgiving week this week, but I'm just really convicted now more than ever. And the last hour of our, of our service and our prayer time has shown it, has, has shown it to be true that, that our ability to give thanks has everything to do with our perspective. Everything. And vice versa. Our perspective has everything to do with our ability to give thanks. Right? And so today what we're going to be talking about as we, as we continue in this series that we're calling The Weary World Rejoices is to take the, the theology of what we've been learning in our Roman series that Paul talked about, the gospel, and we're going to now make it really practical and go, so in light of the beauty of the gospel and all God has done, how can we be thankful? How can we live in hope? How can we find peace? How can we um, experience joy? And then how can we love one another? And we're going to go into Advent. I want to encourage you in your bulletin, there's one of these handouts. It's got the schedule in it. I want to encourage you guys to invite other people into the space. Whether it's physically into Sunday morning or not, that would be great. The next few Sundays, the next four in particular, as we celebrate Advent together, are always sweet times. We're still going to be teaching the Word of God, singing great music, but we're going to be spending um, some time really focusing on what the gospel does for us in the context of hope and peace and joy and love. But at the same time, as I was talking to people last week here, and then also when I was out at my teaching classes at ACU or other things, I was, I was asking people, so are you ready for Thanksgiving? And what I consistently heard was, yes, but it snuck up on me, right? And, and I think all, part of why our church seven or eight years ago decided, let's, let's do like the Advent thing. Let's spend a good solid four or five weeks before Christmas talking about the coming of Christ is because what we were seeing more and more in the church, our church and that church, is even Christmas just sneaks up on us. So, so I guess all that isn't just a commercial for our series, but it really is the series that's planned is designed to, to force us, me too, into giving Jesus some space. I mean, like literally, if not now at Christmas time, when are we actually going to make room to spend some time with him every day? Right? And so make the most of that time. Grab one of the devotional books. Get ready to do the daily readings. Invite other people into it. And see what God does, not just in their lives, but in yours as we approach Christmas. And see if it doesn't help you get more focused. And so last week I talked a little bit about how giving thanks, like being a thankful person takes practice. This week we're, we're looking at how we have to start, like we actually have to start this whole journey we're on of Hope and peace and love and joy and, joy and love. By, we have to start by giving thanks. Because again, if we can't give thanks in all circumstances, like we learned last week, then, then our perspective is wrong. We have our eyes on the world and not on, the, on the, the one who is the word of God. So today we're looking at starting by giving thanks. It's in Philippians chapter 4. I guess I should turn there since I told you guys to turn there. Philippians is in your New Testament towards the back half. Of your New Testament, um, it goes past all the big books like Romans, First and Second Corinthians. You'll get to books like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter four. And the question I'm looking at, or the the thing that's going to drive our conversation today, is how does starting with Thanksgiving promote a life of praise or a life of, to use the term, rejoicing? 
How does, how does starting, like, like actually being able to make your first flinch, thankfulness, how does that lead to living a life of praise? And so that's the question we're going to be looking at today. So let me kind of give you a couple of other follow-up kind of ideas um, to help set the table, I guess, or to help you think about what, I'm, what I mean. Would words like worry and anxiety or peace and thankfulness better describe your heart moment to moment? Worry and anxiety, peace and thankfulness. I'm not asking, I'm not asking for it. I'm just saying, like, just think about that. Like, what describes your condition most often? How about insecurity or anxiety, like being an insecure person, or having a sense of confidence and security in Christ? Now, let me, let me push a little bit deeper into you. So what, what describes your soul? Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions, your heart, that whole part of you. Like, which of those things would describe you? And which of those things would describe, to use a term, the meta you? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever else you're on, conversations that you're having with other people. Which would, which of the, would, would worry, anxiety, anger, frustration, would they describe your countenance and your social media or public countenance more than peace, hope, love, joy. I, I would venture to guess that if, if you're struggling with struggling, it's because we have to practice thankfulness. So what Paul's going to show us in this passage as we talk about how starting with thankfulness promotes a life of praise is it helps us be together in the gospel, and our last, our first hour of the time together today could not have been a more beautiful picture of how our souls need to soak in that beauty together in the gospel so that we can kind of leave some of the cares of this world behind. It's going to remind us to take our cares to Christ, and it's going to force us, thankfulness forces us to look at the positives. It is, I mentioned it last week, it is impossible to simultaneously in any given moment be thanking and praising God and complaining about your circumstance at the same time. Now, if you're like me, you can bounce back and forth within seconds. But in any given second, it is impossible to give thanks and praise and complain at the same time. So the, the better we get at giving thanks, the less we will complain. So let's take, let's take a look at our first point. It helps, if, it helps, so this idea of starting with thanks helps us live together in the gospel. So I'm going to start in Philippians 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers, or brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Guys, man, he really likes these people. Like, he, I mean, these, are, like, these aren't just like flowery words he's using. I love you. I long to see you stand firm. In the, like, now, now he's going to go on to say, now, how do you stand firm? He says, and by the way, um, Hope, you, you nailed these, um, um, the pronunciation of these, of these two ladies' names, Eodia and Syntyche. He says, I encourage you and entreat you that they would agree in the Lord. Verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Guys, like he is... Um, one, what, part of what I love about that scene, and I, and I do want to stop, it's just sort of as an aside from the message is, one of the things you're hearing a lot in our culture right now against Christianity is that, there's, is that it's, it's, um, it's not women-friendly. 
Guys, there is no religion in the world that is more woman-friendly than Christianity. Right? In this culture, at this time, for Paul to even mention a woman's name in a letter would have questioned his authority. Because it just wasn't done. What, what Jesus is doing with the, allowing the women to be the first ones that see him at the empty tomb, allowing them to be the ones that report about his resurrection, about even inspiring Paul to mention these women by name and how helpful they've been for the gospel, is he is inviting women in to the gospel um, pro- proclamation. So don't, like when you hear people go, well, it's just a way to subvert like, or to suppress women. Say, no, Christianity has done more for women's rights than any other movement on the planet throughout human history. And that's just a historical truth, not, a, not even a, just a biblical truth. So we got to confront some of those lies with the truth. And so, there's, so that's, that's an aside. But here's the other part. Like, he genuinely cares about these people. Now, look what he says. So here's, he's saying, now, here's how you're going to stand firm in the Lord. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That word rejoicing means to be full of joy. Remember, I talked last week about how it's the outward expression of rejoicing is praise. So when we're praising God, that's just an outward overflow of what our, in, our heart is already doing. So he's saying that's an outward overflow of, an, of our inward soul experience. He uses the word rejoicing nine times in this letter, twice right here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is near. Now, here's what's interesting about that word reasonableness. Some of, you might, some of your translations might say, let your gentleness be known to all people. That's really better, a better translation. That's what the word really means. It actually means to be sweetly reasonable. To have a, to have, like, he's saying, let your sweetness, let your care, let your love, let your joy be known to everyone. And then he says, because the Lord is at hand. Now, are you thankful, we, Brian, had, he didn't know I was going to do this, but he had this get up and, and go find some people we're thankful for. Are we really thankful for our church family? And, and guys, here's one thing. I'm not talking about the ones in our church you like. Meaning, like, like I love all you people. Some of you I just don't like right now, right? Like, is that sort of, is it, is it like when your kids, you're like, I always love my children. I just don't like that one right now. Right, because they're they're being a certain way, or they don't they're they're pushing my buttons a certain way, or like. I, but are we thankful even for those people? Because what the church has become, and we've talked about this a lot at Cross Train, what the church has become is a bunch of um, flag planters who are creating churches around people that are just like them, that look like them, that act like them, that vote like them, that talk like them, that have the same exact theology as them. That like that's that's what. And anybody that's different, it's almost like, okay, you guys got to go find someplace else to be. Instead of embracing the differences. He's saying here, like, like, embrace the difference. Let your sweet reasonableness really is only evident when you're, I mean, if you're, if you're nice to people who like you, Jesus says, what's the point in that? Even the sinner does that. He says, but be kind to the people who are not kind to you. Who don't, who don't vote the way you vote. Who don't have all the doctrine that you share. Who don't do those. Be kind to those people. That's how the gospel is put on display. 
I want to show you an example in Paul's life. So, so we're going to come back to Philippians. Turn to the left where we are, just a few, a few um, pages, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So you're going to go past, back past um, Ephesians, past Galatians, past 2 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh-oh, here we go again. I, I didn't do anything, I promise. Um, so, and, and um, we'll, we'll do a talking points question here in a minute, and we can swap it out. But, um, yeah, it was working so good there for a while. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, guys, I, I, need, I need to set the table just quickly. I know I'm kind of moving slow to get us started here, but I want you to think about this. So here, like the, the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, it was a church that was a mess. And I'm not just talking about they weren't living the way they were supposed to live or doing the things they weren't supposed to. I mean, they were a mess in that regard, too. They were a mess morally. They were a mess spiritually. But, guys, know this. about so we're, we're talking about sweet reasonableness. Paul is going to show his sweet reasonableness to a bunch of people. It's not just that they're frustrating him because they're not doing what he's told them to do. They are attacking him personally. This was not theology to Paul. This was personal. They were actually publicly ridiculing him. They were calling him names. They were bringing into question his authority. They were saying he wasn't a good leader. They were even calling him physically unattractive. I mean, they, these people were known, the Corinthians, that church, the church, they were known for bashing him. Now, in light of that, so th- I want you to think about the person or people that you know have, have wrongly, have said things about you that just aren't even true. Right? I want you to think about that. And listen to how Paul writes to them. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and to our brother um, Sothenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth and to those sanctified in Christ, Jesus called to be saints, Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both, the, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, do you see, he is, he is speaking blessing over them. That is sweet reasonableness and it gets better. Look at what he says. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And he means it. He's giving thanks for the people that are publicly undermining his ministry. And then he says that in every way you haven't been, been enriched. And then he praises them. You've been enriched in all speech and knowledge. And your testimony about Christ has been confirmed. That you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. That you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are sustained to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful by whom you have called upon. In the, um, you've been called into this fellowship of his. Through, through his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Guys, he is He has taken these people that have spent months and months of time making him look bad, and he is opening up, he is leading with love, he is extending grace, and he's praising them. Now, does that describe you? Does that describe me? The answer is not so much. I mean, if I have to be honest, the answer is not so much. So look at your second talking points question. And I don't know if you want to hang in there with this thing for a while or not. That's fine with me. We'll try. Um, Look at your second talking points question. When dealing with other people, does the phrase sweetly reasonable describe you? It certainly described our Savior. In fact, it still does. How sweetly reasonable he is to us in dealing with our sin issues. 
May our lives be sweetly seasoned this holiday season with the aroma of Christ to God among those being saved. Guys, especially to those that are not in our camp. Again, it, it, makes, it is no witness to the world if we're just loving and kind and full of the fruit of the Spirit towards people that are just like us. That makes great human sense. What God, what, what Paul's telling us is when we are thankful for the people that frustrate us, when we are thankful for the people that are not like us, when we're thankful for the people that are, don't 100% agree with us, that is a witness to the world because that is supernatural. It makes no earthly sense to choose to be around people that frustrate you. But that's the body of Christ, guys. It is. As crazy as that sounds. I get that that's not what we've seen modeled. I get that that's not what's happening. I get that, that, that even COVID has made that worse as church of, churches have camped up over all kinds of things that aren't even secondary and tertiary issues. They're not even gospel things. They're just political issues. Like, it, it, is, it is such a bad witness to the world. Because we're going, yeah, I thank God for my church family. And people would go, well, of course you do. They're just like you. So do you embrace people that are not 100% on board with you? And does your mind immediately go to the people that you're not 100% on board with? Well, yeah, I do. But, but those people over there, they don't embrace me. Right? Like, th like that was what was convicting to me as I was thinking about this. So how might, and I'm going to ask, I'm asking you just quick answers, how might sweet reasonableness and thankfulness be connected in light of what we just talked about to kind of wrap this point up? How might sweetly reason, like being, like actually having a person, a countenance of sweet reasonableness and thankfulness, how might those two things be connected? Acceptance. Good. Awesome. So, so your sweet reasonableness, if you hear Jamie said, when we know we've been forgiven much, it's the woman that washes Jesus' feet when the Pharisee's standing there judging her and him for it. And he, and he says, this woman has been forgiven much. She loves much. So when we love people, be out of an overflow of what God has done for us. He's like, like he has, Jesus has no reason to be sweetly reasonable to you. That's the reality. He chooses to be to you and I. So when we choose to be to people that are actually our enemies in some sense of the word, right, even a minor sense of the word, it is gospel glory that is, that is brought on display. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's, let's go to our second point. So how does starting with thankfulness lead us to a life of praise? One, it helps us live together in the gospel. The second thing is it reminds us to take our cares to Christ. So, so look at, we're back in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. So we're taking our cares to Christ. So in verse 6 he says this, Do not be anxious about anything. This is probably the, the two most popular verses in the whole letter of Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, the word anxious, when he says be anxious, do not be anxious about anything, that word anxious there sometimes is like don't worry about anything. But here's the, here's the picture in the Greek. Whether it's the word that Paul uses here or the idea that Jesus was using in our calling passage in Matthew 6, the word in the Greek is this idea of being torn apart. Anxiety in, in, in um, Koine Greek is this picture of being torn apart. It's specifically where your mind and your heart are in conflict. That's, the, that's what brings about the kind of anxiety that he's talking about. So when your mind knows the words of the song we just sang, this rock won't move and his word is strong, but your heart is going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. The economy's crashing, my job is going away, my health is failing, this thing. Like, the, that's the anxiety part, right? It's, <coughs> excuse me, it is, it's what James talks about in James chapter 1. So in James chapter 1, when he says, he's specifically talking about asking for God's wisdom in, in his will. And he says, if you lack wisdom, ask, and God won't resent you asking, but he'll give it to you. But then he says this, but if you ask, you better ask without doubting. Because the one who asks and doubts is the double-minded man. That word double-minded there is the idea for anxiety. It's, 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 his head is saying one thing, his heart is saying another, and he can't make a decision now. Right? Like that, that ultimately is what's at the, at, at the heart of our struggle. That, that instead of... We become that person instead of being the person that remembers like what Isaiah tells us. In Isaiah 46.10, he says, do not fear, for I am with you. Like, guys, like this is a good verse to memorize. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will help you. Surely I'm the one that will uphold, that will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's like, Perspective. He's saying rather than focus on this, it's Peter on the water, right? It's the, the word said, the word of God said, come. The, the, um, the world said, waves. Peter started out looking at the word and he was doing great. He looks at the world and he starts to fail. That's when we need the Isaiah 46 tens of, of the world. That's when we need Psalm 37. So turn to the left to where we are to Psalm 37. So we're gonna, this, this is a great psalm to go to about anxiety, worry, fretting, which the world is full of right now. I mean, it, it always is because the, this, is, this is where the enemy lives is in our anxiety, right? He loves to get us anxious and distracted. He loves to get us fearful. He loves to get us angry. So there's all this anxiety that's going on about, I mean, like, you know, I mean, we've had these problems in our country before, but, we're, you know, the economy and, and the, pol the political situation and everything, and all of a sudden we're, we're wringing our hands and posting stuff on social media that is just in no way, shape, or form showing any sense of security in Christ, right? It's like we're, we're just responding like the world responds, and then we wonder why the world just thinks we're no different, because frankly, sometimes we're not. So what we ought to be doing is putting stuff like Psalm 37 on your Facebook page. Okay, and I say that going, I haven't been on social media since May, praise God. Um, psalm 37, it's a psalm of David. He says, fret not, that means be, the same word fret is the same word in Hebrew for be, don't be anxious, don't worry. Don't, so fret not yourself because of evildoers. So all that's going on, all that's wrong in the world, all the things that have been, that have been taken from us, all the, all the stuff that's, that's going bad, don't fret about that. Don't be envious about wrongdoers. 
They will soon fade like grass and wither like green herbs. Trust. This is like, and so instead, do this. So don't do that. Don't focus on the, on the wrong things. Instead, trust the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He, he will help you make good decisions. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday, just like he promised to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12. But be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Over the, I'm, I'm biting my tongue about all the social commentary I could be making right now. Um, so I hope you guys are appreciating that. Over the man who carries out evil devices, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It only tends to evil. He's saying you're just, you're just buying in to the attacks of Satan when we just join in their angry, in the angry mob mentality. Even when we have convinced ourselves that what we're really doing is standing for righteousness. And again, I will resist the urge to talk about how often the whole money changer table thing and Jesus' righteousness are taken out of context. You ain't Jesus, and that's not the situation we're in right now. Right? And so, so do not, I'm just asking you as your pastor, do not use, well, Jesus got angry with unrighteous people as an excuse for your anger. That is wholly unbiblical. And if you want to talk about that afterwards, I would love to talk with you and help you through that because it's just the truth and it's killing our witness. It is killing our witness as Christians. So, how do we live our so this whole psalm is about like like are we living our lives? Are we showing our lives in the metaverse? Are we living the way like in a way that shows we are fixing our eyes on Jesus or we are watching all that's happening in our world and we're just responding the way the world does. Now, back to Philippians chapter 4, the second part of that verse, he says, so be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So this is why we spend so much time praying, um, not just on Sunday mornings, but also on Sunday nights um, because, in, <coughs> um, because prayer is, where, is powerful. It's where the power is. But then he says, but pray this way with thanksgiving. I love how Brian is always leading us into that in our prayer time. Give thanks even in the hard times. He says, in thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so this idea, guys, this idea of thankfulness, do you know what that word is in the Greek? Eucharistus. What does that word sound like? The Eucharist. Right, which is what Catholics and, and other Orthodox churches would call what we think of as communion. But at the heart of the word Eucharistus or Eucharist is the word charis. What is charis? Grace. What he's saying is, within everything, with thanksgiving, with a heart of, of um, gratefulness for grace. So he's like, no matter what's going on, pray about those things, but constantly, quickly get back to, like, start with, but thank you for your grace, Lord. Even, even in the fiery furnace, your grace, you're there with me. Even in the lion's den, you're there with me. Even when I'm facing a Goliath, you're there with me. And so on and so on and so on. And then he says, in the last, the last he says, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you've probably heard this before, because I've said it many times, the peace of God only comes with from peace with God, right? We, we cannot claim 
verse 7, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding unless first and foremost you're a Christian. Romans 5.1, therefore, remember it's one of those big therefores that Jeff walked us through a couple weeks ago when I was sick. Therefore, since you have been justified, since you've been made right by God, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That theology, the Romans theology, is what we want to grab a hold of and go, right here is where it comes into practice. The minute, the minute I'm, I become anxious, the minute I become worried, the minute I fret, the minute I get angry, the minute, all those things are happening, and I do, guys. I mean, if, you're, if I see some faces I've never seen before, I confess I do all of the things, the bad ones. I do. But the, every time I'm doing that, guys, what I'm doing is I'm unhooking my anchor from Romans 5.1. That's a fact. I have been justified. If you're in Christ, you have been, you have been made right. There's nothing you can do to be unright. And that, that is what brings peace with God. And because we have peace with God, there is no, what can man do to you? Right? That's what Paul tells us in Romans. So we need to keep that in mind. We need to, <coughs> excuse me, we need to remember that, that those facts that we hold to are the things we cling to about Christ when things aren't going very well. So take a look at the last talking points question, and we're going to begin to kind of wrap this thing up with, with a couple more verses. Because this is why starting with thankfulness is so important. We talked about thankfulness, perspective, perspective, thankfulness. They just go together. Here's why. Our thought life is so powerful. Our thought life is so powerful. Powerful. Do you notice how much what is going on inside of you affects what comes out of you? Are your thoughts and feelings, um, are the thoughts and feelings that fill you mostly positive or negative? If you tend to focus on the negative, memorize Philippians 4.8, we'll get there in a minute, and speak its truth when those thoughts fill your head and your heart. What comes out of you is an overflow, Jesus said, of what's in you. That's why thankfulness matters so much. That's why praise and rejoicing matters so much. That's why the opposite, the negative of those things, is so damaging. And so, frankly, and I'm going to use the word damning to relationships that you're in. The example I often use, like, it is impossible for me to be out in my backyard doing yard work, having negative conversations in my head, and then walk into my house and be kind to my wife and children. That is not possible. It's not how we're wired. right? It, it does affect you. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be mean for the rest of the day, but it just means I, you cannot flip the switch that fast. And, and that's ultimately what our last point is is going to be about. So that's, that brings us to this idea of, well, one more thing about this, about this idea, what, we, what, what our brains focus on. So not only is what, what comes out of us a, a reflection of what's in us, what comes out of us often brings stuff to us. Now guys, there are, and I love John, you beautifully said in the calling, but you were talking about how there are, there are real, like, not, like there are people that are really suffering even in our midst. 
So I don't want to diminish that. There are people that are suffering physically, financially, spiritually, in every other, in every other way. I'm not diminishing that at all. But there are also ten, there's also a tendency in our own human condition, in our brokenness, and I am chief among sinners in this, to be a glass half empty person and be the woe is me person and be the wah, wah, wah person on my, even if it's in my inner soul because I won't actually say it out loud. And that will tend to bring negative things to me. I'm not talking karma or anything weird like that. I'm talking, it's just the reality. What, we, what I'm fixating on, I tend to move towards. And so if I'm constant, guys, this is why that you all know people that are just drama people. And I'm not talking about like drama people, like they like drama, like Jolene and her play and, and you know, Anaya. And I, I, mean, I mean, they're just constant. Their life is constantly drama. Now, the chaos. Now, the question becomes, again, there are, I am not diminishing, there are real, legitimate, sometimes insurmountable on their own reasons for that. But there are also just people that tend to, who, who tend to bring that almost self-actualization to themselves because they speak it into existence. They're just so negative all the time, all they experience is negative because their perspective is broken. Now, even the positive things that come their way, it's like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh. Even the positive things, well, I'll probably lose my tail again, right? Like, but you got your tail, brother. Be excited for a minute. He just can't, right? And that's the way too many of us tend to be in the body of Christ. So with that, that brings us to our last point. So, so back in Philippians, I don't know where I left you, but I think, oh, oh, we're still in Philippians. That's right. Um, so... Sorry. So how does starting with thankfulness help us lead a life of praise? The last thing is that it forces us, like nothing else, and I've belabored this point last week at the start of the message this week, it forces us to think about positive things. And that's where Paul finishes his point. Look at verse 8. He says, finally, brothers or brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and there is anything worthy of praise, Think about, dwell on, meditate on these things. And then he says, what you have learned and received and heard from me, practice those things. And the God of peace will be with you. He's saying, be a living example of what all of this looks like. He's saying, positive, so verse 9, positive role models surround yourself. If you're a person that struggles with negativity, you're a person that struggles to be thankful, you're a person that has a hard time praising and rejoicing, surround yourself with people that do. What we tend to do, we tend to go to people that are like us. So now you just get a whole bunch of Eeyores all hanging out together. That's not a party, right? And so you want, like, you need to surround yourself with people that are going to, that's what he's saying here. Be an example to other people. Now, an, an example of what? An example of who? He's saying, he's saying, dwell on what is good and right. And guys, it's, here's the difference. And we, and we kind of prayed it during our prayer time. Asaph was David's music leader. So, so he was pretty tight with God. And, and had a pretty good life. And yet he's looking around at all the people in, in Psalm 73. It's one of your readings this week. He's looking at all the people in Psalm 70 or that, 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 are, that are not living for the Lord and they seem to be doing well. Right? The politics are not going his way. And he's angry. He even gets to a point where he starts to like question his commitment to God. He's like, is all this for nothing? And then he goes, but man, when I thought that way, I was a crazy man. And then he said, and then I went into the house of my Lord. Then I turned and I stepped into a moment with God and God's people. 
And it reminded me of all that is true and right and lovely, all that is honorable and pure, right? All that is commendable and worthy of praise. And then he said, and, and man, for, and then he ends it with, and as for me, the nearness of God is my good, right? Being, and we need those soul reminders. And so, so ultimately, what he's saying here when he says, be anxious, or when he says, finally, whatever is true, honorable, right, he's saying, guys, understand this. And I've, I've said it already this morning. I've, I, I'm going to just keep saying it. What we dwell on, what we fixate on, we migrate towards. It's just the reality. If you are filling your life up with Fox News, if you are filling your life up with worry about the stock market, if you are filling your life up with pornography, if you are filling your life up with fill in the blank, that is what you're becoming. It's just the reality. What consumes or what, um, what controls your mind, or what consumes your mind, what fills your mind of what you're thinking about, controls your heart. It's just the reality. But here's the good news. The good news is the opposite is true. That's why the Bible talks so much about fixing our gaze on Christ. It's why there's so much talk about just look to him, look to his word, pray to him. It's why Paul starts the way he does here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks we saw last week. It's because what we are, what, if we fill our minds with that, that's what will control our hearts. right? And so as the music team comes up and we get ready to, to um, go into our time of response... Um, I just, I guess I want to ask, like, how are we doing at what you're letting your heart get captured by? How, how are we doing, and I'm not asking for input, I'm asking you to reflect on this as we go into the song, and I'm going to pray us through Psalms, um, or through Philippians 4, 8 in just a minute, but as we, as we do that, guys, I want you to think about, like, how are you doing at at filling your mind with what is good and right and lovely, what is pure and lovely and, and excellent. So one of the things I do fairly regularly, um, now, I just know somebody, sorry, because some of you don't believe anything I just said. You're like, that's just a Dougism, and that's not a Bibleism. I would ask you to, read, to look up, read, and then memorize Proverbs 23, 7. As the man or man and woman thinks in his heart, so he is. Not so, not so he acts, it's so he is. That's a strong word. Jesus says the same thing, right? Out of the overflow of what's on the tree, what's inside, is what the fruit, the good person, from the goodness of their heart, produces good. The evil person, out of the evilness of their heart, produces evil. Right? Now, we know that the gospel is what makes us, transfer us from the evil to the good, but as Christians, we can still struggle with the evil. Don't let it win. And Paul's solution in Philippians 4, verse 8, is, is like one of the things I do. I have it on my little prayer app on my phone, and so I took a screenshot of it. I think it's going to come up. Yeah. So um, I, this is one of the things I pray through almost every day. Maybe it's just for 30 seconds. Maybe it's for a minute. Um, I'll just pray through the words of Philippians 4. So whatever is, in the words here I'm reading out of the ESV, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, 
think about these things. So like last week, we talked about what it takes. It takes practice. I'm just going to close our time together and go into our time of um, response. I'm just going to pray through those things, um, just that that you see there, um, and then invite you to, like, embrace that, not just today in this moment, but as we go through the rest of this week and go into Thanksgiving. Really, like, fix This is what I've been praying for you guys all week and for me too. Fix your mind on what is lovely and see if that doesn't, it might not change a thing about your circumstance. It will change everything about your outlook. Let me pray. Father, I do thank you, Lord. Um, I thank you for the reality that, that as your people, we have been transferred out of the darkness and into your marvelous light. I thank you for the truth that, um, that the light shines in this dark world and that the darkness cannot overcome it. I thank you that, that you tell us that, that we should expect to be in this wrestle, that we're living in that space between the already and not yet. But Lord, that you also show us, even like in passages like Philippians, what the solution is. And the solution is to fix our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. To, to, to dwell on the things that are in the already completed category and, and get rid of the not yet fully accomplished junk and watch how that causes us to, to get pulled upward. Lord, I do pray for hearts in this room and for those that are listening online and, and might listen to this podcast later. Lord, I want to pray that um, I know there's discouragement. I know there, and I know there's real reasons to be discouraged. Lord, don't let them hear that, that in any way you, you or your word or anything I've said minimizes that or cha- or or disregards that reality. But I do pray that they would hear the solution. And the solution is to fix their eyes on Jesus. The only real solution is to fix our eyes on Jesus. So Lord, let, let us, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, Lord, let us dwell on those things. Lord, let us, let us turn off the junk on our phones, on our televisions, in conversations with people that tend to draw us into negativism, whatever that has to have happen, even if it's just in the, for the coming season we're going into, let us, let us instead look at what's true in your word, what is right in the gospel, what is honorable about what you've done in our lives and how you've called us to live, and let us dwell on those things. Lord, what, what is pure What is lovely? What is commendable? Lord, bring those things to our mind, not just now, but throughout the week. Lord, when when the negativism of this world and in our own flesh starts to creep into our minds, Lord, make us quick, by the power of your spirit, make us quick to grab that thought, call it what it is, which is sin, because it's doubting you, And then quickly grab a hold of what is pure and lovely and commendable. And replace the negative with that positive. And then, Lord, whatever is excellent and worthy of praise. And here's what we know. There is one who is excellent and there is one who is worthy of praise. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I do pray for my own heart, for my family specifically as we go into this Thanksgiving week, for our church family, and for all those that we will be in contact with as we go through the next few weeks. Lord, I pray that our lives would just ooze 
what is excellent and worthy of praise, because that means we're oozing Christ. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that as people are with us, they would feel you. Lord, that we would be the sweet aroma of Christ in every place that we go, starting with the people we're sitting next to today, but not just there. And and then what those people do with that aroma is between them and you. But let us be the sweet, sweetly reasonable aroma of Christ in every place so that we can show people what it means to not just be transferred into your kingdom, but really care about it. Because you do. Lord, let us live today. Let us live this week. Let us live this season. Let us live our lives for what matters forever. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.